Welcome to The Grizzly Beat, a podcast of Grizzly Times and Louisa Wilcox, where we interview scientific experts, managers, Native Americans, writers, and others to share their knowledge, perspectives, and experience. This comes at a time of enormous interest in the grizzly bear's future as the government proposes to remove federal protections and citizens are asking important questions. We hope the information shared here will help listeners shape their own answers. This is Louisa Wilcox with Grizzly Times Podcast, and I'm delighted to be here today with Chris Genovalli, who is a leading conservationist, a prolific writer, and a major voice for the voiceless creatures in British Columbia. Chris has recently been involved in a hugely successful campaign that stopped trophy hunting of grizzly bears throughout the vast province of British Columbia. Thanks for taking the time today, Chris. Thanks so much, Louisa. It's great to be with you. Uh, Chris, maybe you can share a bit about the Rain Coast Conservation Foundation, your group that's been at the heart of the grizzly bear protection campaign. Sure. Uh, Rain Coast is a team of conservationists and scientists empowered by our research to protect the lands, waters, and wildlife of coastal British Columbia. We were founded in 1996, and the tools that we uh, use to further our conservation objectives uh, include rigorous peer-reviewed science, uh, public education, and community engagement. And uh, we have termed this approach informed advocacy, and uh, we think it's pretty unique among conservation efforts. So you got your sea legs in activism in the conservation arena in the clear-cutting protests, which were huge, of Clackett Sound. Can you share just a bit about that campaign or maybe what you learned uh, there that you've carried forward since that time? Well, if I was going to sum it all up, I I would tell you that uh, what I learned was if you're not prepared to go all in for the long haul, uh, you should probably find something else to do with your life. <laughs> find another career. <laughs> right, right. Um, <clears throat> you know, these these campaigns uh, <clears throat> are on uh, really long time horizons, much longer than most people realize. And, you know, the decision point for for these issues often seems like it it's occurred fairly rapidly, but when you just dig beneath the surface, you see that uh, it's taken years and years of work to come to that point. And um, so you have to have a lot of uh, perseverance, uh, a lot of commitment, and and, uh, and not give up easily. You know, and I, there, there's a quote from uh, Winston Churchill that uh, I think is, is relevant and you know, he, he said, and I might be paraphrasing here, but I'm not sure I can remember the exact words, but success is not final, failure is not fatal, and it's huh. the courage to continue that really counts. So, it, you know, it, yeah. it's, uh, you know it, 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 I'll just finish uh, with this uh, um, advice a First Nations uh, friend of mine gave me. He's an elder from the north coast of British Columbia, and We'd been talking about the grizzly hunt campaign here and because it had many stops and starts. Um, and he said, it's a beautiful battle. And huh. I think what he, what he meant was, it's, you know, it's all about 
the process and the effort and and the commitment and you know you just have to let go of the expectations because you have no control over those in in a lot of cases. Right. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Well, yeah, the striving is all it seems. Um, so, from our standpoint in the lower 48 states, it looks uh, like British Columbia has a lot of grizzly bears. You know, a government estimates, which may be off a fair amount, uh, say there may be 15,000 grizzlies in the province, and that yielded uh, an annual hunt that was going on until until now of 250 to 300 bears a year. So was that relatively large number of grizzly bears a problem that you had to get over in your campaign? I think it was only a problem in terms of the government wrapping themselves around that number and uh, using it as justification for continuing the hunt and claiming it was sustainable. Um, right. You know, the, the, that figure... Uh, I would say it's highly questionable, and uh-huh. I mean all of their population estimates that they've put out over the years. Um, just just to give you an idea, I mean over a little over 20 years ago, their estimates stood at 6,000 to 7,000 grizzlies. Uh, oh. Then about I don't know, maybe 10 years later, they upped it to 10,000 to 13,000. You know now it's 15,000. Um, and I'll, I'll just uh, I'll quote uh, Dr. Brian Horacy, who you may know. Yeah, yes. You, you know, he's got four decades' worth of grizzly bear research experience uh, and has looked at this issue quite a bit. Um, he says that the, the B.C. population estimates have no foundation in science and are, quote, primarily paper exercises extrapolating numbers from radio te- telemetry study areas, you know, uh, unquote. So, uh I, I think there's reason to question them, and but aside from that, I you know the issues that resonated with people uh, really you know were beyond just numbers and and whether or not uh, you could take a certain number of grizzlies out of a population for for uh, the purposes of trophy killing. Yeah, yeah. So, Chris, you were involved in a major, a major part of your work was, was educating the media and thereby the public. And your media work I've been watching over the years, it's, it's unparalleled. Uh, you use awesome photographs, you uh, film, uh, you've got pithy blogs that are understandable by uh, top-notch scientists. You've got lots of fascinating events that the media picked up on. Uh, and your argument that bears were are worth more alive than dead has had enormous resonance um, with the public. And you had partnerships with companies like Lush Cosmetics and Denman Island Chocolate uh, that made a chocolate bar, uh, especially for, for this purpose of, of uh, helping the campaign. Can you describe what you did with, uh, with these businesses and with your media efforts in general? Well, I guess part of it was uh, the fact that Many of the businesses that we worked with in the ecotourism industry, wildlife viewing industry, are dependent on healthy populations of large carnivores. I mean, they, they, uh, it's a burgeoning business on the coast of, of BC. Um, they are, de- they uh, attract people from all over the world paying large amounts of money to come here to see our grizzly bears, uh, our black bears, our wolves, cougars, um, the white spirit bear, and 
so they they you know they had an inherent interest in seeing this uh this activity halted and and uh the management of grizzly bears reformed and so it was a natural kind of uh relationship to build and we started to work with them very closely and helped them in the early stages become a business voice on this issue which is is powerful and uh mm-hmm. um, as well you know there's other uh um businesses within British Columbia that recognize that, uh, you know, there's there's no ecological, no economic, no ethical reason to be killing these bears for trophies. But I think mm-hmm. they also understood that uh, these bears bring in, an incredible kind of cachet to, to British Columbia and, and draw people here and are um, important to not only uh, the ecological landscape, but in terms of the economy and and uh, the the culture of you know how people see British Columbia and what makes it attractive for um, both tourists and and business. And uh, so, like you mentioned, uh, Denman Island Chocolates, a local company that that makes these incredible organic chocolate bars uh uh created the grizzly bar it was a great uh kind of pr tool that we used mm-hmm. to, to get the word out and uh lush cosmetics you know has they've been just uh you know their support has just been stunning um, yeah. both in terms of you know supporting what we're doing uh from a a donation perspective, but also getting helping to amplify the message to their. They've got an incredible network throughout North America right. with their stores, and um, they utilize that to to great effect. Yeah, absolutely. So you just talked about the attractive parts of British Columbia and how you you know got these businesses involved, but there is also a really dark side of your your media efforts. Um, and there was one video I remember seeing uh, that I think you released um, of, of of two hunters blasting away at this beautiful grizzly bear that tumbles down the snowfield that leaves it fully, you know, blood red, and it's just unbelievably shocking and awful. And uh, you had that side of your campaign. Maybe you could talk a little bit about about that sort of brutal aspect, too. Sure. And that, that, that was uh, actually another group had gotten a hold of that uh, footage oh, okay. and, and, and leaked it, but it, it, it definitely shocked people. And, um, you know, I think it, it speaks to the, the ethical uh, and, and moral issues around trophy hunting, and especially of large carnivores, because one of the things that uh, I think was reflected in, in all of the polls that have been carried out, you know, for 20 years, uh, which, which show a, a strong majority of British Columbians wanted this stopped, is, is the, the ethics of this. You know, why are we... Uh, going out and killing these animals for no other reason than to satisfy people's egos, you know, for mm-hmm. recreational purposes, for, right. for sport. And I think, uh, you know, bringing that, the whole issue around ethics into the debate uh, was 
something that we pioneered and, and something that uh, Dr. Paul Paquette, our senior scientist, really uh, led the way on and, and um, uh, was able to speak to this in, in an incredibly insightful and articulate manner that I, I think touched a lot of people. And it, it's, um, you know, there's a qualitative difference between hunting legitimately hunting for food and, and uh, you know, what we call real hunting and uh, hunting for trophies. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's just, you, you just cannot justify killing lar- any large carnivores uh, as being something that is necessary or that is not anything other than gratuitous. And I think that is, is you know, resonating with British Columbians uh, to a great degree. And now that the, the grizzly hunt has been uh, halted, uh, people are, are starting to realize that it, there, there's other species like wolves and cougars and black bears that are subject to this as well. Right. Well, you just mentioned uh, Dr. Paul Paquette, and, and indeed he's one of my heroes, uh, also Chris Daremont. I've been amazed at your skillful use of science in, in, your, in your work, just your work generally, uh, and the fact that you know, you've got Chris Daremont who works with you, who also has a faculty position at University of Victoria that houses something called the Rain Coast Lab, uh, where you have enormous number of projects of scientists uh, taking on different aspects of ecology and population biology and perspectives on, uh, on science and the trophy hunting issue. Um, we don't have anything like that uh, down in the lower 48 states and around Yellowstone, we only have this federally funded interagency grizzly bear study team, which is all about promoting the status quo, not challenging it as you were doing. Uh, maybe you can describe how you built up your science efforts and, uh, and if you have any recommendations for us in, in the U.S. Well, um, from the beginning, it was a deliberate strategy. We wanted to be uh, to kind of set ourselves apart by being a truly science-based organization that just didn't pay lip service to science, but actually carried out primary science on the ground, on the water, and was publishing in, in peer-reviewed journals. And um, Paul Paquette uh, was a huge part of that. He, he's kind of been our, our guru in terms of uh, mm-hmm. our approach to science uh, and helped us really build that, and uh, Chris was actually uh, one of his students, and, and right. Paul had been mentoring him, and, um, you know, it, Chris ended up uh, interning for us, and then, uh, you know, it was pretty quickly we realized what an incredible talent uh, Chris Daremont was, and yeah. he started to work for us, and uh, so he and Paul have, have really led the way around our our focus on science and uh, and and also the establishment of the Raincoast Lab at the University of Victoria. It, we uh, um, negotiated that with the with the university back in 2012, and uh, you know we brought over a dozen years of cutting edge science on large carnivores to the table, and um, were able to attract funders as well to partner with the university. So it was. Um, you know, something that we saw as a natural evolution 
of of our science focus and that would uh, give us even you know more kind of street cred when it came to mm-hmm. uh, science and research and and that uh, you know we would be able to kind of leverage the intellectual and physical resources of the, univers- the university by um, creating this partnership and, and creating the Raincoast Lab. Yeah, it's amazing. You also had a different kind of partnerships uh, with the with First Nations, um, the the Indigenous peoples in British Columbia, and that proved to be really important to the success of the campaign. And and uh, First Nations uh, people also are doing uh, really important research on the ecology of salmon and bears and wolves. And how how did you forge relationships with First Nation leaders? And uh, why do you think ultimately those voices mattered? in British Columbia and Canada more generally? Well, uh, and those uh, relationships are, are long-term uh, relationships that we've built uh, being in those communities on, on the, the central and north coast and working together uh, in partnership, uh, collaborating on that research that you, you referenced. Uh, we, we've had... Um, a couple of different long-term projects that have helped facilitate uh, establishing those kind of relationships uh, when you work closely together and, you know, out in the field and, and uh, um, it, you know, Chris led a, a decade-long uh, wolf research study that we, we partnered right. with uh, uh, the Heltzik First Nation with and, uh, and then other other nations, and then that uh, when that was concluded, we started this um, bear salmon research project that has been a multi-year ongoing study. Uh, we're working with five different uh, First Nations um, wow. in a informal partnership on that, and and you know it's uh, I think it's also a, a recognition. I mean, we saw this. Uh, this incredible um, generation of leaders emerging from huh. um, all the communities there. Uh, it, maybe ten, ten or so years ago, uh, and and all of these people like Doug Nieslas and Jess Housty and William Housty uh, just have become uh, the leading voices on a lot of these issues, and and. Uh, um, you know, not just in their communities, but for the entire uh, this entire province. I mean, they they are wow. really leading the way in terms of uh, um, you know creating a vision and and uh, putting pressure on government and and articulating you know why uh, coastal First Nations were so opposed to this. You know, in terms of it being antithetical to their values, uh, violation of tribal law, um, and also, you know, uh, that they had concerns around the, the impact to uh, the growing economy that they have in their mm-hmm. communities around wildlife viewing. Um, for instance, in Doug's community uh, in Clem 2, the Kittisu First Nation, uh, it's just an, in- an incredible success story with uh, their ecotourism uh, business there and the beautiful lodge that they built and 
well, um, the amount of employment it creates and, and the kind of quality, good jobs. And uh, so, I mean, they, you know, we, we are, you know, humbled and honored to be able to have worked with them so closely on, on this issue. And it's, uh, it's been a powerful relationship. Yeah. Well, as you may know, we've got uh, tribes down in our part of the world, um, 200 strong now across the country, who've signed a treaty opposed to trophy hunting of grizzly bears in, around Yellowstone and Glacier. Um, a huge number of, uh, of tribes and a, and a real upwelling of concern about an animal they feel is a relative. They have long seen it, uh, same as, as uh, in your part of the world, uh, bears as relatives that we shouldn't be putting their heads on walls. Um, but we have a long way to go to make uh, ecotourism a real going concern, if you will, around uh, communities, around the reservations uh, in the northern Rockies. Um, so I think you, your, your First Nations are really leading the way, not just in terms of research, but, but also in terms of making an ecotourism um, economy work. So. Yeah, and, and, you know, also I think maybe a distinction here as well is uh, the the legal precedents that have been set and you know through court challenges and the kind of influence both political and legal that that First Nations have here now and uh, you know I think any government uh, at any level um, has to pay attention to that in this day and age in in British Columbia and Canada because it's it's a reality that that needs to be acknowledged. And uh, so mm -hmm. um, that, you know, First Nations here uh, are kind of rapidly regaining agency over uh, conservation, um, you know, and stewardship and land use and marine use. And so it's, it's you know, that that's the dynamic at play. Yeah. That's really exciting, and of course, uh, as the delisting of Yellowstone grizzly bears, uh, you know, has been publicized, and there are many lawsuits uh, around trying to get grizzly bears relisted or federal protections restored uh, to Yellowstone bears. We're, we also have 17 tribes uh, engaged in a court, serious court case of the decision itself. So we may not have the legal precedents and the power of them that you do in Canada, but we certainly have tribes that are are taking that route and trying to. Uh, uh, see if it can provide important leverage for um, tribal voices. So you have in British Columbia a really important urban base of support in Vancouver and Victoria, and that certainly helped stop grizzly bear uh, trophy hunting. Um, and we're also seeing in the interior west on both sides of the border are becoming increasingly urbanized, you know, big urban centers of Boise now and, and you know, Missoula and Great Falls and the like. And, and this could shift uh, the debate in favor of conservation. Maybe you could talk a little bit about the trends that you're, you saw in British Columbia and, you know, maybe share what you think they pretend for conservation. Well, it's interesting here because the, the polling uh, has indicated that the the uh, kind of opposition uh, to the grizzly hunt was across the board, both um, kind of politically oh. and socially in a lot of ways. And uh, obviously, like you know, like you said, the um, the urban centers, Vancouver and Victoria, are 
you know, uh, pretty clearly on side with that issue. But uh, the, the polling indicates that a lot of the a majority of the hunting community was actually opposed to it. And uh, mm-hmm. so I, I think um, it, it's, you know, there's, there's a distinction that needs to be made between, uh, as, I, as I was mentioning before, um, shooting large carnivores for trophies and, and uh, just hunting in general. And, um, you know, we think that there's uh, a lot more um, to be done in that area and that, uh, the, that really the problem exists more in the leadership a lot of of the this this uh sport hunting lobby than it does with the rank and file hunters who who are members of these organizations um right and and, i think part of it is it you know it's uh just a resistance to change um it's also there's there's a bit of uh almost paranoia that uh you know once one domino falls, they're all going to fall. And, right. Uh, you know, nobody's trying to take away anyone's right to go out and hunt deer uh, and put meat in the freezer. It's it's this kind of gratuitous killing that we're opposed to. And right. Uh, and I and I do think that that resonates uh, to uh, the urban base. Um, to a large degree. I mean, people just um, don't understand, you know, what is the need to be to go out and, and kill one of these magnificent animals? Uh, because, you know, there's no sport involved in, in killing these animals. I mean, there's no fair chase, uh, especially right. on the coast. I mean, it's, it's yeah. uh, you know, it's a search and destroy mission. And, uh, <laughs> oh, God. So, uh-huh. Uh, and, yeah. and, and uh, you know that was that that term was actually to describe the coastal hunt was actually uh, coined by uh, Brian Horacy and uh, Gary, right. Gary Gilbert and Lance Craighead in a report that they did. Oh and, yeah, uh, I think I think it was you know it was quite accurate because if if you spend any time on the on the coast of British Columbia where uh, you know these grizzly strongholds. In in the spring, you know, they're sitting out there on the estuaries, you know, feeding on grasses and and right. uh, you know they're they're just sitting targets in the in the fall and the other hunting season. They're congregating around salmon streams and just intent on you know uh, fattening up for the winter. And they're you know often in hyperphagia and. I mean, they're groggy, and, you know, it, it just, uh, it's not right. And I think people see that, and right. uh, and then they find it uh, abhorrent, to be honest. Right. Yeah, and the horror just wasn't in Canada, but extended to Europe. And something I found really fascinating uh, related to your campaign so you, it, back in 2001, you uh, were able to secure for a brief time a moratorium on grizzly bear hunting. And then you, we saw this European Union ban on importing grizzly bears from British Columbia. How did the European Union get involved, and why does what they say and do matter in British Columbia? Well, uh, yeah, we, we were able to get um, 
this is one of the stops and starts. We were able to get a province-wide three-year moratorium put in place back in 2001 on the grizzly hunt. It lasted one spring hunting season. There was an wow. election. Uh, the new government came in, and the first thing they did, the first policy decision, not just environment or conservation policy, but just policy in general, was to uh, revoke the moratorium. And uh, so we started to pivot to look at other ways of dealing with this issue and impacting it. And one of the things that we had figured out was, uh, you know, a lot of the client base for guide outfitters in in British Columbia was from uh, Europe. And, uh -huh. and especially in terms of uh, grizzly hunting, it was, you know, in uh, Austria, Germany, um, a couple of other countries. And so we uh, started working with a couple of groups in in the UK and Germany, um, Environmental Investigation mm -hmm. Agency, and uh, um, primarily, and started to put together the case to uh, go to the EU and request a ban. And uh, our uh, science staff was heavily involved in in putting together that information and worked with other folks like. Uh, um, Barry Gilbert and Brian Horacy and some other uh, people, Wayne McCrory. And, uh, uh -huh. and so we went through the, the process and appealed to the EU, and they, their uh, scientific review group uh, deemed that it was unsustainable and that BC was not meeting its stated commitments and uh, around grizzly bears, and so they – they put the ban in place, and um, that shut down a huge kind of pipeline of clients for uh, a lot of the guide outfitters on the coast that were um, highlighting grizzlies as part of their their, their hunting package. And hmm. the the uh, the government, <laughs> both in BC and the Canadian federal government, were were quite upset about this. I remember being, yeah. being on the phone with the federal environment minister and just having to hold it away from my ear because he was screaming about <laughs> what, an, what an embarrassment this was for Canada, you know. And, uh. and uh, you know, I just wanted to tell him, hey, you know, what's embarrassing is that we continue to allow grizzly bears to be shot and killed for trophies, you know. And right, Exactly. So anyway, there were challenges to that EU ban. There were several yeah. of them, and, and they were upheld each time, and it's, it's still in place now. So, um, <laughs> it's still an embarrassment. <laughs> um, but it, you know, it, it also had uh, the other effect of it was, and, and this was kind of uh, another part of our agenda, was we had started to look at, you know, could we actually buy – one or more of these uh, commercial hunting tenures, these territories right. that guide outfitters were using. And right. uh, we figured that if we could kind of turn the taps off of their their main client base, it might make them more amenable to uh, to talking about selling. So that that was that was also part of the strategy. 
Well, that was absolutely brilliant. I mean, I, maybe you can explain a little more about how it was that you bought up and retired these hunting leases, leases on, I guess, provincially owned land. It was a huge amount of money and a huge amount of, of acreage uh, that meant closing off hunting to grizzlies. Um, it seemed like you were well on your way of closing off most of the coast to grizzly bear hunting. And, and uh, maybe you can talk a little bit about how that strategy evolved. Well, um, you know, after the the uh, the new provincial government in 2001 had overturned the moratorium, you know, we were pretty frustrated. Uh, we'd put a lot of time and effort into that, and there was no logical reason why they they overturned it. It was obviously a quid pro quo with the trophy hunting lobby. Um, so anyway, we, we we thought, okay, we need to get creative and start to look at ways we can impact this issue without relying on government, at least the BC mm-hmm. government. And so uh, I started to look at how land conservancies uh, operated. You know how they would buy land and you know set it aside for protection. And I went down and spoke to the local. Um, folks at the Nature Conservancy Canada office in Victoria and just asked them, you know, how they how they did it and and kind of floated this idea by them, you know, uh, because I had done some research and found out that these commercial hunting tenures could be bought and sold. Mm-hmm. And uh, the people I talked to there said, yeah, you know, this, uh, it looks like it could be workable, but, um, you know, it would it would be an experiment. And uh, in any case, we we decided we would uh, we would try to buy one, and um, we picked uh, <coughs> excuse me we picked <clears throat> one of the largest ones on the central coast <clears throat> in the heart of the Great Bear Rainforest, uh, twenty four thousand square kilometers. It, it's huge. Um, and, yeah. And. You know, this guy was uh, had a, a large grizzly quota, one of the largest on the on the coast. He was killing a lot of wolves. Uh, uh. He was kind of taunting us with that, actually. Oh uh, yeah. Because he knew yeah. we were doing this wolf study, and um, uh, so anyway, you know, we we had started to create the conditions, you know, with the EU ban and. <clears throat> the pressure in the media and so forth, where we felt we could approach and and start a discussion, and uh, so we we negotiated with the the individual that owned this particular tenure. Uh, we agreed on a price, one point three million dollars. We had to raise Whoa. we had to raise wow. money in twelve months. Ouch! <clears throat> and we did, and. Uh, um, you know, we shut down all the commercial trophy hunting in that vast region. And yeah, uh, the the thing is, when you buy these these territories, they they are it is in perpetuity in essence because uh-huh. uh, you know huh. as long as you, you're maintaining your you know all the things that you're obligated to as an owner, um, you own them until you know you decide if you wanted to, to sell them, right? Because they get bought wow. and sold all the time. Wow. And uh, so we, we bought that one. Uh, then a few years later, we purchased a second one 
uh, a smaller uh, territory, but still quite large, uh, you know, about 3,500 square kilometers, uh, wow. which was in the heart of spirit bear habitat. Oh, yeah. And, and so, you know, it's illegal to shoot the white spirit bear for trophy, but you can you can kill the black bears that carry the recessive gene that's responsible for producing the white spirit bear. So uh, that was one of our motivations in buying that one. So we, we bought that one, and then <clears throat> we recently, a couple of years ago, we bought a third one. Uh, so we're up over, I think we're around 32,000 square kilometers, and I think that's equivalent to uh, in size of, uh, or it's actually, it's larger than Yellowstone. I think it's a, it's yeah. Like two or three times the size of Yellowstone, so it's a it's a it's wow. a large area. You don't actually own the land; you own the hunting right. rights. Yeah. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and we're targeting a fourth one right now. Uh, we're in the midst of fundraising for that. Uh, it's uh, just in the kind of prime area of the Great Bear Rainforest, and and we want to buy all the remaining ones. There's there's about five more left after oh, this wow. current one that we're looking for. Huh. <clears throat> Even though the <clears throat> the grizzly hunt is, you know, there's a ban in place now. Uh, you know, it's always been our goal to just to shut down all large carnivore hunting in the Great Bear Rainforest, and and so that's the goal yeah. we continue to pursue. And uh, right, right. Um, that's an amazing strategy, uh, an amazingly successful effort. You've had, you know, some of your strategies was may, were maybe a little more conventional in terms of uh, court cases and the like. And, and one that seemed was interesting to me was a successful battle that you had over getting data on hunted bears from the British Columbia government. Uh, and that case went to the British Columbia Supreme Court, which is a really big deal. Why was this data so important to your efforts? And uh, why did the British Columbia government fight releasing the data? So we wanted uh, the, the, the grizzly kill data because uh, as part of our uh, initiative to investigate and analyze and, and challenge the science that the provincial government had, had kept throwing out there, yeah, we needed this, this data and uh, to be able to do that. And, you know, all of these bears are being killed on crown land, public land, uh, we felt this was also an issue uh, just fundamental to the freedom of information law here. And that, mm-hmm. you know, um, in any case, uh, we launched, uh, it started with a, an FOI request <clears throat> and then ended up um, in a five-year uh, legal battle in court on at various levels of of uh, in British Columbia, like you said, it went to the Supreme Court, and um, the government was arguing along with the, uh, the the trophy hunting lobby that this information was proprietary, and that hmm. uh, you know, which which was just outrageous, you know, that yeah. you can carry out this activity on public land and and then withhold the information uh, from right. from the public and. You know, we we didn't want this information to compete with 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 you know commercial guide outfitters uh, bringing trophy hunter, hunters out onto the landscape. We wanted to 
to do some independent science. And uh, right. in any case, it, it, it was uh, really a precedent-setting victory, and in, in eco-justice uh, just did a magnificent job uh, as our legal counsel uh, throughout this whole process. And uh, th- one of the reasons why it's it's so important and has proved to be so important is that a lot of the work that uh, Chris Dermont and uh, Paul Paquette and uh, another one of our large carnivore scientists, Kyle Artell, have done is uh, really attributable to being able to have uh, the grizzly kill data that, that we were mm-hmm. able to access through this, this win in the courts. And um, one of uh, – there was a, a paper that Kyle was the lead author on, Paul and Chris Ron as well, that came out a couple of year, years ago in uh, PLOS One. Mm-hmm. It was really one of the the watershed papers uh, that have been published. It was the first peer-reviewed paper on the management of grizzlies in British Columbia, I believe. Huh. And it it showed, you know, widespread overkill was happening. Right. And, you know, highlighted the uncertainty around uh, a lot of the numbers that – uh, the provincial government was using so it it's it's been a kind of a long process you know with the from the start of the the court case and and you know going forward but the it's had a lot of application to a lot of different things that have been very important to um, the grizzly campaign yeah, interesting. So, so you were able to make uh, and integrate a campaign with media components, with court uh, efforts, with economic um, attributes, and work with First Nations and others. But ultimately, at the end of the day, uh, you were able to really make uh, progress or success um, with uh, the British Columbia election. So that when the NDP got in power, they immediately announced a hunt ban. Uh, we've never been able to make grizzly protection in the lower 48 states an election issue. How did how did you do that? You know, I think it's it's uh, almost like a critical mass. <laughs> uh huh. You know, right. The issue has been in the in the media, in the public eye. Uh, you know, numerous NGOs. Uh, you know, as we spoke about before, uh, Coastal First Nations hammering away at this issue for a long time. The you know the business sector. Um, I, I think it's because it remained unresolved, and it just there was no way this was just going to go away. And mm-hmm. uh, um, you know, it it it's also. It, it is a business issue. I mean, they, you know, in 2003, huh. we did we did an economic study uh, looking at comparing revenues for uh, grizzly bear viewing and and killing grizzly bears on the coast. And back then, it was you know viewing them was bringing in twice as much money to mm-hmm. the province as killing them. Uh, Coastal First Nations uh, commissioned a report several years later. Uh, it was a, a think tank at Stanford University, <clears throat> and they found that uh, the, the viewing grizzlies was bringing in 10 to 12 times or more the amount of wow. money um, than than the hunt. So it, you know, it, it was also something that I think uh, 
the, the parties that were involved in the election had to address because, uh, you know, the economics and the business voice around this had become so prominent. Um, and that was one of the <clears throat> stated, uh, you know, reasons that, that the NDP uh, spoke about when they made the, mm-hmm. the final announcement on the grizzly hunt was around the economics of this and that how much more lu- lucrative viewing these animals was than, than killing right. them. Right. Yeah. Right. So, Chris, maybe you can just uh, speculate for a minute what you think some of the broader implications are of this huge victory in Canada and maybe in the U.S. or elsewhere. I think it's... Uh, you know, one of one of the things that we are hoping this will be is a springboard to, uh, you know, looking and examining and challenging the hunting of of all large carnivores. Uh, you know, in, in in British Columbia, it's sometimes I think BC stands for bloodbath for carnivores because oh dear, if, if, if you look at you look at the numbers, I mean, it's staggering. Like over 1,200 wolves a year are killed uh, from hunting and trapping. Yeah. And that's probably, these figures are all pretty con- probably conservative because the reporting isn't very robust. Right. And, yeah. uh, you know, in terms of how many black bears are killed, I mean, it's it could be anywhere from one to 4,000. It's just enormous. Wow. You know, uh, 250 yeah. to 300 cougars. Uh, it just goes on and on. And, and, and we need to do something about this. Uh, right. But, also, I think we're hoping it's going to be the grizzly hunt announcement is going to be a springboard for pushing to reform wildlife management in general. Right. Right. I think that's been. Well, we've got that. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to say um, wildlife reform uh, management of, of wildlife is just a, a completely broken system, I think, in both both countries. Um, you know, we have these incredibly charismatic animals and yet we basically gun them down um, without looking at the broader implications. So hopefully it'll inspire people down in the lower 48 states to take a look at, at carnivore management more seriously too. I, I hope so. And it, <clears throat> you know, we, we uh, actually just have a, an opinion piece <clears throat> in the Vancouver Sun today about oh, cool. uh, the latest favor that that Chris and Kyle and Paul have done on this, along with some other uh, collaborators around what they have termed political populations. And, and uh-huh. what they are finding is, you know, jurisdictions around the world, not, not just in North America, but in Europe as well, uh, you know, manu- almost manufacturing numbers for populations or uh, framing or spinning science to fit a political agenda um, right, and and uh, you know this is I, I think this whole issue is going to be exposed in a big way in the coming years here, and and you know hopefully uh, this decision in in British Columbia around the grizzly hunt is going to help, uh, um, you know, at, like I said, as a springboard to address you know these these larger issues around wildlife management. Mm-hmm. Well, as you know, Chris, um, around Yellowstone, the state of Wyoming is moving forward to uh, 
um, gearing up to sponsor its first grizzly bear hunt in 40 years with the recent delisting of the grizzly, uh, the state's moving forward. Are there any final words of wisdom or, or uh, lessons to us in the lower 48 states that you, you might share? I, I would say uh, don't automatically trust what uh, government says in terms of <laughs> their, their science uh, or, or their, their wildlife management policies. Uh, you know, I, I think it was uh, Henry Kissinger, of all people, uh, once said that power creates its own legitimacy. And, and I think uh -huh. that's why governments and agencies are able to get away with so much of the stuff they have been able to get away with. And, right. and making assertions that are not based on evidence uh, or, on, or on good evidence. And I would say, you know, keep challenging that and keep challenging their assumptions. And uh, I think also don't be afraid to talk about the ethical side of these issues. Uh, I think mm -hmm. that those are legitimate things to bring up. Uh, and if you think about it, you know, what other realm of public policy, you know, uh, criminal justice, health, uh, um, you know, child care, like you could go on and on. None of them, none of them operate in a vacuum where you don't talk about ethics or morality, right? right? It only seems yeah. wildlife management is, is burdened with this kind of ridiculous restriction that you can't talk about ethics uh, and and that's that's not right, and we need to change that. Right. Well, thank you so much, Chris, um, and congratulations on this huge, huge, important win of this grizzly bear hunt campaign. Um, I'm speaking, Louisa Wilcox, and I'm speaking today with Chris Genovali with the Raincoast Conservation Foundation. And thank you so much. I really appreciate it.